This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, June 23rd. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, remembering Stu Fraser. Governments approve Diamond Ridge purchase. Making and unmaking a bluegrass mandala. And a mountain weather forecast. Stu and Ginny Fraser didn't mean to move to Telluride. They stumbled on it. This friend of ours on the West Coast had skied. Oh, he was a ski patrol here. And so he said, hey, come on, come see Telluride. And we'd heard of Telluride, but not really. And then we came and we loved it in the winter. And it was a bluebird ski day. We're both skiers. And so we, they said, well, if you like it in the winter, you'll love it in the summer. And then we came to Bluegrass and sat on friends of ours' tarp. And then we loved it in every season, and we just decided we're we're here. It's been 30 years since Stu and Ginny became integral members of the community. Stu served on town council and later as Telluride mayor. He was an advocate for protecting the valley floor as open space. He was a mediator, bringing at times opposing sides together. People loved Stu. Not everybody. It's Telluride. It's okay. He dealt with his adversaries in such a kind way. He was a well-balanced He's a Libra, and he's well-balanced and fair and a kind, good man. Stu Fraser passed away on June 20th following health complications. He was 78 years old. Fraser's entry into local politics wasn't the most conventional. Originally a marketer for Hallmark, that's where he and Ginny met, Fraser lost his first run for San Miguel County Commissioner before winning his seat on Telluride Town Council through a luck of the draw. He won his town council slot from a high-card draw. It's only it's so typical of a western town. And it was four, like 416 to 416 with a gal here running against him. And they had a high card draw, and he drew the ace of spades to win his spot. Over the years, Fraser was instrumental in bringing the community together and moving it forward. He was a mediator, and he he could make people come together. And that's what he did with his community. He He worked with all kinds of people. You know, the people that wanted development and the people that didn't. He understood both camps. Telluride Town Attorney Kevin Geiger remembers Fraser the same way. Some people, when they come to Telluride or a vacation spot like Telluride Resort, uh, all all they want to do is participate in the resort activities. And that's certainly, that's understandable. But when Stu came, it was the other way around. He he had an interest in some of those things, outdoors and, and, and the mountains. But he really tried to find a way immediately to offer his service to the community. And that's pretty rare. He was very um, supportive of staff, always, always had the interests of the town of Telluride first in his heart. Uh, and I would say that that's what he focused on. He, even if he had disagreements with members in the community and, and members of the community might have had a disagreement with him, uh, I think they all knew that Stu really put the town and the interests of the town first. Geiger points to Fraser's work on the Valley floor, seeing litigation over the matter through the Supreme Court arguments. He also remembers work Fraser did surrounding water rights and the Idorado Mining Company. It was contentious. We had a two-week-long trial, uh, and after the trial, we had received a, a, a pretty favorable ruling. We were still working through issues with Idorado. And I remember one point in particular, we got to a very critical point of the negotiations, and Stu, in a very heartfelt way, 
approached um, both the Adorado uh, negotiator and their general counsel and made a heartfelt plea to try to work through the remaining issues. And the town was committed to doing this, and he really wanted Idorado to do the same. And I think it actually it, it turned the tone in that negotiation because we were pretty close to, to breaking apart and walking away, and that would not have been a good result for either party. It would have meant more litigation, uh, more difficult years and uncertainty. And, and I remember that. At one point, he, he kind of got, got down on his knee and said to both of them, you know, we're here and we're pleading with you. We want to make this work. We want to resolve these issues and we want to keep talking. And, and it, it, it made a difference. I, I really feel like it made a difference in that negotiation. And that's just one example, of, a very clear example in my mind uh, of, of something that Stu did that people probably don't know about, but it, it stands out to me right now. Outside of his work in government, Fraser was an avid singer, co-founder of the Men Without Rhythm troupe in the 4th of July parade. He sang with and served on the board of the Telluride Choral Society. Rhonda Muckerman was director of the Choral Society when Fraser was singing. He had you know, a great sense of humor. He and my husband would always be cutting up in the bass section, you know, in the back. Um, and really just consider him to be a good friend. He was always, always supported the work that we were doing. And he really cared deeply about the mission of, of singing with people, of spreading joy in that way and bringing good music to life. He really cared about that. But for those who knew Fraser, it was that warmth and sense of humor that sat at his core. Here's friend Todd Brown, followed by Geiger and Ginny Fraser. Stu was kind and thoughtful with a wicked sense of humor, uh, always had a twinkle in his eye and a a little joke to go with everything, but I don't know that I've ever met anybody who cared more for the people of this community than Stu. I can always see his smile on his face, and I will remember that. Every time I would see him, uh, for the first time in a while, you know, his smile would come out, and he would be very happy to see you. He would ask you about your family and ask you about your life. He had a genuine concern for people in the community and for the community at large. Even up until he passed away, I, I would do something like fuss over him. He'd give me that sarcastic look and go, don't do that, Jimmy. And he'd flutter his eyes and give you that look, roll his eyes, and he'd just go, come on. And that sarcasm and but humor, and and he just, and he was such a caring and kind, good person lived a wonderful life. I wish I had him for some more years, but um, he just was remarkable. Stu Fraser is survived by his children, Stephanie and Patrick, his two grandchildren and his wife, Jenny. The town of Telluride and San Miguel County have authorized the purchase of approximately 105 acres near the Telluride Airport for the Diamond Ridge housing project. Both governments approved resolutions at meetings last week. I am very much looking forward to partnering with the town and potentially others to build a new neighborhood of affordable housing uh, that will be compatible, I believe, uh, and completely respectful of the local neighbors. 
That's County Commissioner Hillary Cooper speaking at the Board of County Commissioners meeting. The cost of the acquisition is about $7.2 million, split between the town and county. The governments have also been awarded a $5 million grant from the state to support the purchase. Earlier this year, the county approved rezoning about 40 acres of the property for higher-density affordable housing development. That rezoning allows up to 20 units per acre, though there is no specific plan yet around developing the property. Last week's votes were not without objection. All the public comment at both meetings was against the purchase. I can't believe, A, that we are thinking of destroying one of the iconic viewsheds Uh, of Telluride that makes this place so wonderful. It draws tourists here. That's David Lavender speaking at last week's town council meeting. Affordable housing is something we need to pay attention to, but this is not the parcel that needs to be developed. Virginia Lucarelli spoke at the BOCC meeting. She's concerned about the costs of developing the property. I would really encourage you to step back, have a conversation about the feasibility, suitability, and affordability of this project. I just, I don't see how it makes sense. Morgan Smith also gave public comment to the BOCC against the purchase. One of his concerns is the appraiser overvalued the property, pointing to a past transaction and what he says is the incorrect assumption it has a well, which he argues inflated the property value. I just asked that you um, slow down a little bit, ask some of these questions of the appraiser and find out why these numbers are what they are. Ultimately, the BOCC unanimously approved the purchase. Town Council was split, approving the Diamond Ridge purchase 4-2. Mayor Pro Tem Jesse Ray Arguelles and Councilmember Lars Carlson were the two no votes. Here's Arguelles. I want it to be abundantly clear that I am totally for land banking. I'm totally for affordable housing. This, I just, there are still too many question marks for me to, to vote anything but no at this time. Councilmember Adrian Christie was not at last week's meeting. As bluegrass music was blasting from the Telluride Town Park stage last weekend, another quieter ceremony was taking place in the back of the park. Several monks from the Drepung Losling Monastery traveled to Telluride for the bluegrass festival. In addition to a Sunday morning main stage performance, they also spent the weekend creating a mandala, an intricate image created, in this case, by funneling colored sand. By the final day of the festival, it was finished, and the monks held a ceremony to take it apart. Dismantling of this beautiful work, often people find it difficult to see. That's Geshe Lobsang Tenzin, a former monk who now teaches at Emory University and traveled with the monks. But the Buddhists find always certain meaning in, in whatever you do. So in dismantling, it is about reminding us of impermanence. Change and impermanence is the reality that we all can embrace. If we don't embrace, that leads to many of the psychological problems, the obsession, and so forth and so on. Mandalas, Tenzin explains, are made to introduce students to complex meditations. But he adds, they are also created to promote peace and healing. Festival organizers, he says, chose this specific mandala of Buddha Akshopya. And Akshopya in Sanskrit simply stands for unshakable. This mandala, which, according to the festival organizers, was first offered by the monks in the U.S. after the 9-11 attacks, 
is normally done in times of pandemic, war, conflicts, and natural disasters. So I hope that we all can find a moment of that uh, inner peace, uh, but together we can also send our thoughts and prayers for the pandemic to subside soon, for conflicts around the world to pacify, and in that way, for peace and healing to prevail. As the mandala is dismantled, Tenzin explains, the deities invited during its construction are dispersed. And the natural place of enlightened beings is not in some distant you know, place, but rather the place of enlightened enlightenment is in each and everyone's heart. After Tenzin's introductory explanation, the ceremony begins. Eventually, one of the monks takes pinches of sand from around the mandala and puts them on his head, symbolizing a unification of an enlightened state. Then, another begins brushing away the complex sand design with a sequence of strokes that spiral to the middle of the circular mandala. The ceremony lasts about 20 minutes. By the end, the detailed design is no more. Now, the sand forms a tie-dye disc erupting in a storm of colors. For many in the packed crowd that watched, the ceremony was impactful. Carrie Galbraith says it was important to her. There's a lot of suffering going on, and it's really beautiful that a group of people who aren't from here could come and pray and lend their blessings to everybody in this valley and everybody who showed up. I really appreciate that. Linton Moore says she took refuge in Buddhism in 2019, but hadn't had this sort of experience since then. I feel incredibly fulfilled right now. And, and to have this happen at Bluegrass as well, uh, this just speaks to the sacredness of the Telluride Valley. Carson Taylor says he's been a Buddhist since he was 10 years old and explains the ceremony was touching. It's like the healing. The healing power, the, the energy flows through me. Shortly after, the monks hand out some of the sand in packets. Traditionally, the sand is poured into a flowing body of water to disperse the healing energies of the mandala around the world. So, I carry my packet out of the festival to the nearby San Miguel River. dumping it out for the grains to flow downriver. Sometimes it feels like election season never really ends. It was just last month voters had the say on the workings of the Telluride Fire and Hospital Districts. Still, it's time to fill out another ballot. 
This Tuesday, Colorado voters will head to the polls for the 2022 primaries. In San Miguel County, federal, state, and county offices are on the ballot, including races for U.S. Senator and Representative and Governor. With only a few days left to go, San Miguel County clerk and recorder Stephanie Van Dam notes it's too late to drop ballots in the mail. And so if you still have not voted your mail ballot, please drop it in a drop box. Um, Those drop boxes are open 24-7, and there's one located in Telluride at the Miramani Building, which is 333 West Colorado Avenue. There's another one in Placerville uh, at the Placerville Schoolhouse, which is 400 Front Street in Placerville. And then there's one in Norwood at the Glockson Building at 1120 Summit Street. In-person voting is also available in Telluride at 335 West Colorado from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday, and 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on Election Day. In-person voting will also be available on Election Day in Norwood at Norwood Town Hall from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Anyone affiliated with a party will receive their party's ballot, but unaffiliated voters without a party preference, Van Dem explains, will get two ballots, Democrat and Republican. She stresses you can only vote with and return one. If there are two ballots, whether they're both voted, neither voted, or one is voted and not the other, None of those votes will count and that ballot will be rejected. So it's very important that only one of those ballots makes makes its way into your return envelope and return to us. The Colorado primary election is on Tuesday, June 28th. So far, Van Dam says local turnout has been relatively low, with about 1,000 ballots returned. Luckily, there's still time to get yours in. Looking for a birthday, graduation, anniversary, treat-yourself gift? Why not support local artists while you're at it? The Telluride Arts Summer Bazaar takes place this weekend with wares from local and regional artists. Everything from jewelry to clothing, body products to ceramics. There will also be local music to consume, with Porch Couch performing on Friday, Eric Shedd and Warren Gilbreth on Saturday, and Annika Dean taking the stage on Sunday. The Telluride Arts Summer Bazaar kicks off at the Transfer Warehouse on Friday, June 24th from 4 to 7 p.m., Saturday, June 25th from noon to 7 p.m., and Sunday, June 26th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Colorado's efforts for a more affordable health insurance plan on the individual market is gaining traction this week. The federal government signed off on funding for the program. It's launching at the start of next year. Lawmakers who passed the so-called Colorado Option say it will eventually lower premiums on the individual market by sparking new competition in counties that only have one insurance plan. About 15% of people who have health insurance in Colorado purchase it on the individual market. Cities and agriculture across the West put intense pressure on groundwater supplies. In some regions, there are few rules governing how and when people can pump. That's true in rural southern Arizona. Residents there are seeing their wells dry up as big farms move in. Megan Myskowski with Arizona Public Media reports on an effort to better manage dwindling underground water supplies. That's a really good 
Karamaro is walking inside a crack in the ground that's deeper than she is tall. This fissure even swallowed up part of the road near her home. She says when these deep cracks open up, they make even a quick grocery run tough. You know, the desert's a beautiful place. It's also a very harsh place. It's dry here in southern Arizona's Sulphur Springs Valley, and it's getting drier. The underground aquifer used to be much higher, but as it drops, the ground above it becomes unstable. Residents like Morrow are seeing the wells they use to pump water to take showers and wash their hands dry up as large farming operations move in and drill deeper. It is a little bit scary to think that one day you're going to wake up and your place might be condemned. Groundwater management isn't just an Arizona problem. Colorado's legislature just voted last month to put $60 million towards groundwater sustainability. California and Nevada have also struggled with the issue. In rural pockets of Arizona, some residents want change. They're pushing for stricter rules on groundwater pumping. Many want the two basins in this valley to become what the state of Arizona calls active management areas, or AMAs. Kathleen Ferris researches water policy at Arizona State University, and she knows all about AMAs. She helped get the policy on the books back in the 80s. The advantage to being in the AMA depends on who you're talking to. But for one thing, it means that you can't drill a well and pump as much groundwater as you want without constraint. If someone is already pumping water in the area before it becomes an AMA, they'll get grandfathered groundwater rights. And someone who wants to drill a new one would have to prove that they're not harming someone else's supply. The state's big urban areas already tightly regulate groundwater using existing AMAs, but some rural areas lack oversight. The option to create a new one was always built into state law, but no one's tried to do it until now. We found a statute that was right there waiting for us. That's Rebecca Wills. She helped found the Arizona Water Defenders. Her group's been gathering signatures to get a proposed AMA on the ballot this November for parts of the Sulphur Springs Valley. They're on track to do that. It might not be the perfect solution. In fact, it probably won't be, but it is it is the only thing, seemingly, that we actually can do and that we can do ourselves at the ballot. But not everyone supports their efforts. Riverview, a Minnesota dairy company, moved in in recent years and built one of the largest operations. A spokesperson for the company declined an interview for this story and said the company remains neutral. The Cochise County Farm Bureau says it's also neutral on the ballot measure. President Sonia Gasho says the AMA designation is extreme. Our policies as Farm Bureau is that we want to respect private property rights, we want to conserve water, and we want to do that in a way that is as little government oversight as possible. This is a familiar tension in the West, where laws protecting privately held water rights butt up against realities on the ground. She says the local Farm Bureau is more interested in smaller scale regulations. It really looks like a little mini Grand Canyon, doesn't it? Back at the giant crack in the road, resident Tara Morrow says action needs to happen soon before her well dries up completely. You know, I love agriculture. I grew up in an agriculture community. A big part of my life is agriculture. But she says if farms keep expanding unchecked, the region will become uninhabitable for those who have lived here for years. In Sulphur Springs Valley, Arizona, 
I'm Megan Myskowski. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for scattered rain and thunderstorms tonight with a low around 50 degrees. Friday, expect isolated showers and thunderstorms with a high in the mid-60s. Friday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 50 degrees and a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms. Saturday calls for mostly sunny skies with a high around 70 degrees and a 60% chance of precipitation. Saturday night should be mostly cloudy with a low around 50 degrees and a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms. This has been the news for Thursday, June 23rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.